Good to be back together again this evening and to see each of you in the assembly. Uh, we came to Abilene, oh, some 30 years ago, and were members at Baker Heights when Jimmy Jividen was the preacher there. And Jimmy did something, and some of you may be very familiar with this. He would actually run up the steps to the pulpit uh, there at Baker Heights. And if you've ever been there back in that time, you know that was kind of a precarious thing to do. You notice I did not run up the steps. Uh, I, I am not nearly that uh, graceful. But it's good to see you. It's good to be back in the assembly this evening to study together for a few minutes from God's Word. If you would, open your Bibles to the book of Exodus. <clears throat> I'd like to read a couple of verses there to sort of set the stage for the theme which you see on the screen there, I am uncommon. In the book of Exodus, God gave, through Moses, extensive instructions on how to build the tabernacle and all the furnishings that went in it, all the garments uh, for all the, the ones that would serve, and, and all these detailed instructions are there. And in the midst of all of that, here in Exodus 28, verses 36 to 38, Scripture says, You shall also make a plate of pure gold, and shall engrave on it like engravings of a seal, holy to the Lord. You shall fasten it on a blue cord, and it shall be on the turban. It shall be at the front of the turban. It shall be on Aaron's forehead. And Aaron shall take away the iniquity of the holy things which the sons of Israel consecrate with regard to the holy gifts. And it shall always be on his forehead that they may be accepted before the Lord. Here in this text, God uses a couple of terms with which we're all very familiar, most of us certainly. But they're terms that we often struggle to understand or to define. Uh, the two are very closely related in the context and in their meanings, and these words are holy and consecrate. Now here with respect to the men and the clothing and the furnishings that were given to the, the tabernacle and worship associated with it, uh, these terms are applied, holy and consecrate. So when we think of this word holy, <clears throat> what does it mean? Well, there are two meanings typical in the usage. The first meaning suggests the absolute absence of anything that's impure, anything that's unholy, anything that's ungodly, anything that's immoral, the absence of those things. This certainly would uh, apply to the character of God. God is holy. He is the absolute essence of everything that is pure and moral and godly. And this is what he calls us to. 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 16, Peter is quoting the Old Testament scriptures where God says, you shall be holy for I am holy. That's what he's calling us to as disciples of Christ. To be people whose lives exhibit a character that is free of any immorality or, or all of these evil things that are associated with the world. But there's a second meaning to this word holy and one that has uh, application in, in our lives as Christians and it refers to being designated for a particular purpose. So an item may be a very common thing, one of many like it. But when we take it and set it aside for a particular purpose, that, in essence, makes it holy. That makes it something special, something different, something, if you will, uncommon. A good example of this would be all of the things that the people of Israel brought out of Egypt. You remember that God, <clears throat> through Moses, told them to ask of their neighbors in Egypt 
for all kinds of things from them, gold and silver and precious stones and various kinds of clothing and yarn and, and, and linens and things like this. All of those things which the Egyptians freely gave them were common things in Egypt. But they became uncommon. They became holy when they were dedicated to God's service in the tabernacle. Now this word consecrate goes hand in hand with this and it simply refers to the process by which something is taken out of the common and designated for God's service. So when God spoke in, in the scripture here in Exodus of holy things which the sons of Israel consecrate, he's, he's referring to taking these common things and then giving them a special purpose, designating them, separating them from the common and putting them in a special place for a particular purpose. And thus these things were consecrated to God by being set apart from the common things, the ordinary things, for his particular usage in the service to him. This is what made them holy to the Lord. Now the process of making something holy does not simply apply to inanimate objects. It also applies to people. And this is for us certainly the most important understanding of this process and of this, uh, this, this principle that we're talking about. Uh, this has been God's purpose from before the beginning of time. In Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 and 4, Paul stated this purpose of God. He said, Blessed be the God and Father, our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before him. God had a purpose before he even made the world, a purpose for a people that he would call out from the world who would be dedicated to him, consecrated, if you will, to him, and they would be not like everybody else in the world. <clears throat> now, this process by which God brings us out of the common to make us uncommon is just like this word holy that we've been talking about. It involves two elements as it applies to us. The first element in holiness and then becoming uncommon is the removal of our sins. You see, the scriptures tell us in Isaiah chapter 59 and verse 2 that our sins have made a separation between us and God. It isn't that God can't reach us, it is that he will not reach us if we are covered with sin. We cannot be holy to the Lord if we are still in our sins. We must have those sins removed because these sins make us unholy before God. This is why, to go back to this Old Testament imagery that we're using here, this is why the priests always washed in the labor before they went into the tabernacle service, before they went into the holy place, before they offered any sacrifices, before they even put on the garments uh, that designated them as priests. They always had to wash before they came before the Lord. And they repeated this every time they came before the Lord because they needed to be clean for him. Now we understand this is a ceremonial cleaning that took place in, in that circumstance. But it stands as a type for what happens to us when we obey the gospel. We are covered in sin before we obey the gospel. But then, when we obey the gospel, our sins are washed away by the blood of Jesus Christ. And the great difference here between what the priests did in the Old Testament and what happens to us today is that we only have to be immersed into Christ one time for that cleansing to take place and it's effective for the rest of our lives here upon the earth. Hebrews chapter 9, verses 11 and 14 says that 
Christ made this atonement one time for all. He doesn't have to be sacrificed over and over and over again. We don't have to be immersed into Christ over and over and over again. One time is sufficient by the blood of Jesus Christ to wash us free from our sins. When Saul of Tarsus was coming on the, the road to Damascus and the Lord appeared to him and the Lord told him, I've got a plan for you, and he sent him into Damascus to wait for Ananias to come and speak to him. Ananias told him, why do you delay? Get up and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on his name. Acts chapter 22 and verse 16. Paul had to be cleansed in order to be dedicated to God's service. This is the same message, of course, that Peter and the other apostles proclaimed on the first Pentecost after the Lord's resurrection. When he spoke to the people and they asked him, what must we do? Peter said to them, we all know this passage of scripture. Repent and each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, Acts chapter 2 and verse 38. Why? Because we need to be cleansed. We need to be made holy. We need to have our sins washed away in order to approach God. And there's no record of anyone in all the New Testament being cleansed in any other fashion. So we know that this is the only way to be holy to the Lord. When we obey the gospel, then we are made holy because of the blood of Jesus Christ, which removes our past sins. We are able then to stand before God in an unblemished stand, uh, station, just like he intended for us. And then as Christians, we continue to come before him unblemished as we walk in the light, as we confess our sins, and we seek forgiveness from him. 1 John chapter 1, verses 7 to 9 assures us as Christians that the blood of Jesus continues to cleanse us as we walk in the light day by day and confess our sins before him. So in this manner, we become holy to the Lord, not because of our intrinsic goodness or our own power, but because of our humble obedience to the commands of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That's just the first part of the story, though. We have to have our sins cleansed in order to be holy to the Lord, but there's more to the process, and that's the second element that we need to discuss. Like the objects that were separated from the common and set apart for use in the tabernacle, the Lord intends for us as Christians to be set apart from the world and dedicated to his service. Look with me at 2 Corinthians chapter 6. I'm going to start reading in verse 14, and I'm going to read through chapter 7 and verse 1. Paul is writing to Christians, and he's telling them, you've got to be separate from the world. Here's what he said. Do not be bound together, literally unequally yoked, with unbelievers. For what partnership have righteousness and lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? Or what harmony has Christ with Belial? And what has a believer in common with an unbeliever? Or what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God. Just as God said, I will dwell in them and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Therefore, come out from among their midst and be separate, says the Lord. And do not touch what is unclean, and I will welcome you. And I will be a father to you, and you shall be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. Therefore, having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all defilement of flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Now, why did Paul have to write these words to Christians? You know, a lot of our friends out in the world think that once you become a Christian, you don't have to worry about what you do ever again because you've been saved. But obviously, this was a case where Christians were having trouble being consecrated to the Lord. 
They were having trouble being separate from the world. They had been cleansed by the blood of Jesus, but they were not being holy in their conduct because they were still involved with things of a worldly nature. They had been made an uncommon people by their obedience to the gospel, but they had not remained uncommon as they had lived their lives. And so the apostle was addressing this issue, quoting God the Father himself, calling them to consecration by separating themselves from the things of the world that were by definition and are by definition unholy and not consecrated to God. And really this is the point. Christians are intended to be an uncommon people in this world. We're to be distinctive from the world, not by our strange customs, not by our strange dress, or by our seclusion from the world as some have done in past times, but rather by virtue of what God has done to make us uncommon in this world. This is a truth that's spoken of by Peter in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. We're going to read that just now. Listen to what Peter says now to Christians. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. For you once were not a people, but now you are the people of God. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. What a simple statement by Peter here to illustrate what goes on in the life of a person who becomes a Christian. What makes that person uncommon? What makes that person consecrated to God and holy before the Lord? And there are four elements in this statement here in these scriptures that we've just looked at that indicate how we become this uncommon people. And let's look at those for just a moment here. Notice the first thing that Peter says. We are a chosen people. That language is there purposely. Peter is hearkening back to their memory of what went on in the Old Testament era. We remember that God chose the people of Israel because he loved them and because of his relationship with Abraham. In Deuteronomy 7, verses 7 and 8, Moses reminds the people of Israel, it's not because you were the best people, it's not because you're the most prosperous people or the most populous people in the world. It's not because you were the good people, the best people in terms of your conduct or the largest or most powerful. It is because God loved you and chose you that you are his people. God chose us to be his people. That's what makes us uncommon. Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 4 speaks of that. God choosing us before the foundation of the world. Other passages like John chapter 3 verse 16 affirm to us that God loves us. And so we know that we as a chosen people are such because God loves us and because he chose us to be this uncommon people. And we become this uncommon people by our obedience to his will. The second thing that Peter says in this passage is that we are a royal priesthood. And this imagery is powerful and it's important for us to grasp. The priests under the law of Moses were an uncommon people. They all came from the single tribe of Levi. If you were not a member of the tribe of Levi, you could not be a priest. Only that tribe could, be, uh, could, could populate the priests in the service of the tabernacle. 
In this sense, the tribe of Levi was uncommon among the nation of Israel. They were a type, as it were, of Christians, set apart from the rest of their nation to serve God, just as we as Christians are set apart from the world in order to serve God. We are uncommon among all the tribes of mankind because of our relationship to the Lord, who is also our King. So we're uncommon twice over because we are not just priests, but we're in the priesthood of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. The third thing that Peter says here is that we are a holy nation. And this is just another way of emphasizing this distinctiveness that we experience from the world. We are not a rabble, we are a nation. But we're not just a nation, we are a holy nation. We are a body of people set apart for God's service. We are uncommon in this respect. And certainly in comparison to those who are yet disobedient to the Lord and whom Peter refers to as not a people. You see, when we become Christians, we become this holy nation by the power of God through the blood of Jesus Christ. The fourth thing that Peter says here is that we are a people for God's own possession. Because God is holy in his unchangeable character, he cannot have association with anything or anyone that still is covered in its sins. Romans chapter 3 and verse 23 tells us that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So the common relationship with God in the world is separation. That's the common relationship in our world. People separated from God because of their sins. We who are Christians are uncommon in this respect because we've been washed from our sins by the blood of Jesus Christ. God has purchased us by the blood of his son. Therefore, we are his special possession. We have an uncommon relationship with him as compared to the world. So we who are Christians are an uncommon people because our sins have been washed away and because God has chosen us to be his own special possession. And that lays certain responsibilities upon us. Because we are his special possession, because we are an uncommon person or people, he has given us an uncommon purpose here upon the earth. And here in 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 9, Peter identifies our purpose. Look at this again. We are to proclaim the excellencies of him who has called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. That's our uncommon purpose. We have not been set aside by God to fill a church building on a Sunday morning or Sunday evening. We have not been set apart by God uh, to sit quietly in our homes and, and pray about what's going on and hope for the best as it, as it goes on around us. We have been set apart by God, we've been uncommon by God in order to do an uncommon work, and that's what we call preaching the gospel, sharing the good news with others, so that they have the opportunity to be uncommon just as God has made us uncommon. Jesus, before he left the earth, gave the Great Commission, Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 to 20, Mark chapter 16, verses 15 to 16. These are our marching orders, as it were. These, this is our uncommon purpose. But we, we do it not only in proclaiming the gospel, we fulfill this uncommon purpose not only by proclaiming the gospel, but also by the way we lead our lives day by day, by testifying, proclaiming the excellencies of the one who called us out of darkness. 
We do that by living faithfully to him every day of our lives. In this way, our light shines in such a way that unbelievers will be drawn to the Lord and to salvation, and our Father in heaven will be glorified by that. That's our uncommon purpose. As we think about these things, and I made this, this point this morning, when we get together and study in this fashion, no matter who the preacher might be, we're not doing this exercise simply to transfer knowledge from one person to another. We're, we're doing this to glorify God and to think in our hearts and our minds about what we've just looked at in God's word and then to act upon it. This evening, I want to ask these questions. Am I holy to the Lord? Am I uncommon? These are the questions that we must be asking ourselves, not just tonight in this assembly, but every day. We need to consider this. We need to make this a priority in our lives. And here's the simple truth. If we have not obeyed the gospel, we are not yet holy to the Lord. We're common. We're among those who share the common relationship of being separated from God. And if we have obeyed the gospel, yet our lives are not proclaiming the excellency of the Lord who called us out of darkness, we're not being uncommon. We're not being the uncommon people that God intends us to be. I want us to think back for just a moment here <clears throat> to the priest and the scripture we read at the beginning. The priest had a turban sitting on his head, and in the front of that turban was a, a plate, which was inscribed with the words, Holy to the Lord. And he wore that turban every time he came to the tabernacle to perform the worship when he went into the holy place, uh, when he went into the most holy place on the Day of Atonement. And when he was wearing that turban, everyone could see that statement on his forehead, Holy to the Lord. Don't you think that the, the people seeing that expected a certain kind of conduct from the priest because he was wearing that? This is a man that's holy to the Lord. We don't expect to see him doing uncommon uh, uh, things as peop other people in the society might do it. Consider then that we as Christians, we do not wear an actual turban that says holy to the Lord, but on our hearts is inscribed that same message, isn't it? holy to the Lord. How differently might we act day by day if we actually had that statement on a metal band, on our forehead, everywhere we went? We don't have that literally there, but God has placed it there, and we know it's there, and he knows it's there. How differently might we act if we remembered that inscribed on our hearts is holy to the Lord. Our Father in heaven paid the dearest price he could pay to make us an uncommon people. He paid with the blood of his one and only son, Jesus Christ. He did so because he loves us, because he wants us to be a people for his own possession. Will you ignore this great sacrifice by refusing to obey the gospel or by refusing to live in a way that glorifies God and tells others who see you I'm holy to the Lord. I'm uncommon. The path of the common is the broad path that leads to destruction. The path of the uncommon is the narrow path that leads to life. Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 and 14. In Exodus chapter 23 and verse 2, 
God warned Israel not to follow the masses in doing evil. Instead, what he does is he calls us to the uncommon path, the path of uncommon people, so that we can live with God in heaven for eternity when life is done. Look at these questions again. Look into your heart. Have you been immersed into Christ for the forgiveness of your sins? He made you holy to him. Are you living in a way that testifies to that truth? If not, don't leave this building still carrying your sins. Don't leave this building separated from God. If you've not been immersed into Christ, don't leave this building among the common. Express your faith in Jesus Christ. Let us immerse you into water to have your sins washed away so that you too can be an uncommon person. We have a song selected to help encourage us this evening. One of the elders will be down here to meet you if you need to come. Won't you come right now while we stand and while we sing?